I need to start with an apology. Uh, when I gave this sermon uh, last year at Inner West, I failed to record, and it's taken me until now, all these months later, to re-record it. So I'm sorry for the delay. I'm, I apologise if you've been waiting to hear this. Well, let's let's start with scripture. The first reading is from Matthew, uh, chapter six, verses nine to thirteen. This then is how you should pray: Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And the second reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 35 and 47 to 58. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I am them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So we're halfway through our series on the Lord's Prayer. And as it happens, the Lord's Prayer divides neatly into two halves. Pete and John have covered the first half, the first three petitions, which focus on God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Pete told us that when we come to the Father in prayer, our attitude should be intimate but reverent, that ultimately prayers are to be focused on God, and that we are the most blessed when we make honouring him our goal in life. And John challenged us to ask for God's rule to come over the whole world and our lives, for people to come to Christ, for us to submit our lives to him each day, and that Jesus would return. This week we start the second half of the prayer, another set of three petitions, which focus on us. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Today we're just looking at, give us today our daily bread. But we need to note the change in focus, from the purposes of God to the anxieties of life. 
that we would have all we need to live, are forgiven for the evil in ourselves, and are protected from the evil in the world. But we must not forget the requests in the first half. These big-picture requests set the context within which we ask for our personal needs. And I'll come back to this later. But why should we pray for bread? I mean, apart from when I've prayed the Lord's Prayer, I don't think I've ever specifically prayed for bread. But praying for food is a priority for Jesus. And when he says bread, he's referring to much more than just food. As we've heard, each verse of the Lord's Prayer is designed to be expanded upon. They're prompts for us to fill out with our specific needs. So let's unpack this bread prayer. And this being an Inner West sermon, it's got to have three points. So here they are. When we pray, give us today our daily bread, we're asking for three things. Provision, nourishment and abundance. We're asking for provision, that our needs would be met. For nourishment, that we would be fed, not just physically, but spiritually. And for abundance for us to share and to use to advance the kingdom. Now, if you've spent any time with me, you've probably had this experience. We're eating out and it's the end of the meal, but there's still a good deal of food left on my plate, so I ask the waiter if I can take it home. This happens a lot. I'm known to be a slow eater, and it's not unusual for me to skip breakfast or lunch. If I skip more than one meal a day or delay eating too long, I start to have trouble focusing on what I'm doing and I become irritable. My body is letting me know it needs food. Because food is essential to us. It's, it sustains us. Without it, we die. Well, obviously. But since food is something we all really need, it's something that we should all really pray for. Jesus instructs us to pray for bread, for food, every day because we need it every day. But we don't often pray for food every day. Why not? I suspect it's because of our wealth, which makes providing food for ourselves so easy. The ease of satisfying our hunger makes us forget how essential food is, and that it is God who provides it. When we feel hungry, we go to the fridge or get food delivered to the door. So easy. When supermarkets are always well stocked with everything from lamb cutlets to quinoa, when they compete or collude to sell one dollar a litre milk, when food is ubiquitous and inexpensive, it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking that we don't need God to provide for us, because we can so easily provide for ourselves. Now, we might not think this explicitly, but our prayers show that this is sometimes what we actually believe. And it's not just food. We so often fail to pray for our needs, except for those things in life that are difficult for us to obtain. Then we pray. So we'll pray for healing, that ours would be the winning bid for the house we want, for that job offer, that she'll say yes. Or we pray for our everyday needs when things go wrong, when we discover we lack something we really need. Then we pray for God to intervene. This is practical idolatry. When we only go to God when we really need him, we're treating him as an idol. 
More than that, it reveals how we think of God. It shows that we view him as room service, that he's waiting somewhere unseen for us to call on him when we want something. But that's not how God works. That's not how God works. That's not how prayer works. And if that's how you pray, you're going to be disappointed. God is more like a project manager, the best project manager you'll ever have. He knows the project inside out and works on it tirelessly. He knows all his staff and ensures they have all they need to be content and productive workers. And he's told his staff, email me anytime. Which they do, because they know he reads every email and considers all their requests and suggestions. And because he knows the project so well, and he knows his staff so well, he knows when to grant the requests and when to say no, when to use their suggestions for the project, and when to say, no, actually, mine is the better way. You see, our Father is always at work, implementing his will and providing for our needs, even before we pray. And yet, our prayers do have an effect. They do cause things to happen that wouldn't have happened if we hadn't prayed. Sometimes we do not have because we do not ask. In his sovereignty, God incorporates our prayers into his will. But we must remember that God is always active, always working all things together for the good of those who love him. This truth should drive us to prayer. When we realise God is already at work for our good, we can confidently pray that he will give us all we truly need. Because God is already at work for our good, Prayer is not an exercise in trying to convince him to give us what we want. No, it's bringing our needs before him and trusting that he is faithful. And because God is already at work for our good, we need not give in to anxiety, but instead can overflow with thanksgiving. As it says in Philippians, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God drove this point home to me as I was preparing this sermon. By mid-Friday afternoon, I had written about three quarters of the sermon, and then my laptop crashed. When I pressed the power button, all I got was a blank screen and beep, beep, beep. After a brief panic, I laughed. How could I doubt that God would provide a way for me to recover what I'd written, when what I'd written was that we can def confidently depend on God? So I prayed and tried again. Nothing. I tried a few things and no, still dead. But I wasn't anxious. I really did experience a peace which transcended understanding. I tried once more. This time it booted up. Everything I'd written was still there. I was relieved, but not surprised. God is faithful, and I gave him heartfelt thanks. Of course, our needs include much more than food. We also need clean air, water, exercise, rest, clothes, shelter, to name just a few. And then there's our social and psychological needs, love, respect, sense of identity, belonging, security, a community work to do. 
we should regularly ask God for all these too. Now I'm not saying that prayer should become an exercise in listing all the things we need. That would be impossible. No, I'm suggesting that we are set aside some time each day to reflect on what we need that day and ask our Father to provide it. But we are not just physical beings, we are spiritual beings as well. I've spoken about food for the body, but we also need food for the spirit. When Satan tempted Jesus to put his need for food above his relationship with the Father, Jesus rebuked him with a quote from Deuteronomy, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This quote is from a sermon Moses preached to the Israelites after they had wandered in the desert for forty years. God had miraculously fed them each day by providing manna, bread from heaven. Moses told the Israelites that the Lord did this to teach them their need for his word. God humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with his manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live alone, does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. By every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, Moses was referring to the Sinai Covenant, that is, the Old Testament law in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. This covenant revealed God's holy character, bound the Israelites to him as his holy people, and taught them how to live as a holy people. Israel needed to feed on this word, read it, memorize it, meditate on it, discuss it, in order to grow in righteousness and holiness, so that God could live in their midst without his holiness destroying them. Now, like the Israelites in Moses' day, we also need to feed our spirits. And by spirits, I mean our faith, our relationship with God. If we want to know God, to live as his people, with the Holy Spirit living among us and in us, and to grow in our faith, we must feed on God's word, on the scriptures. As Paul says in Second Timothy, Continue in what you have learned and have, and have become convinced of, because you know from those whom you have heard it, and, from, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. So asking, give us today our daily bread, it's asking God to speak to us today through his word. It's asking that we'll be transformed by the renewing of our minds through our reading of the Bible, our meditations on it, and our discussions about it. But it's more than just that. It's asking that God give us the greatest gift of all, or gifts of all, ever everlasting life, and God himself. We can feed not only on God's words in the Bible, but also on God's word, which is Christ himself. It is through Jesus, his death on the cross and resurrection to new life, that we receive life after death. And it is through Jesus that we come to know God the Father. Our second reading was from the Gospel of John. It's the first of John's famous I Am passages. 
In each of these passages, Jesus does two things. First, he claims to be God by appropriating for himself God's holy name, I am who I am. And second, Jesus, used meta Jesus uses metaphor to teach us something about who God is, who he is. Here, Jesus teaches that only God gives true life, only he truly satisfies. Let's take a look. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I gave for the life of the world. Jesus is the bread of God, who came down from heaven and gives life to the world. Only Jesus satisfies, because only he gives eternal life. But what is eternal life? It's to know the one... It's to know the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. In other words, a relationship with Jesus and through him, God the Father. This is why only Jesus can give eternal life. As the Son of God, he perfectly reveals God to the world and by his sacrifice on the cross makes a way for us to come to the Father. And so, praying, give us today our daily bread, is also asking that we will taste this today, right now, eternal life. This is true spiritual nourishment, that today God will be with us, that today we would look for and receive satisfaction in the company of our Creator. And that's a pretty amazing thing to be able to do. But you might be thinking, yeah, I know eternal life starts now, I know the Holy Spirit lives within me, that God is with me, but I just don't feel it. Life so often doesn't satisfy. And you'd be right. This world is still fallen. We won't fully experience eternal life until Jesus returns. So I'm going to finish by spending some time exploring what this foretaste of eternal life looks like in our fallen world. To do this, I'm going to talk about abundance. By abundance, I don't mean lots of stuff, but the sense that it's used in John 10, where Jesus says, I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Or as the NIV translates it, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So abundance is about the quality of life, not the quantity of things that fill it. It's life to the max. To understand this abundant life, we need to return to the first half of the Lord's Prayer, to the big picture requests. This is because together, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, they describe life in abundance. Abundant life is life in the kingdom, serving and celebrating God. It's life in which God is glorified above all, in which he reigns above all, and which his will is done in all. To put it another way, we are to ask our Father in heaven to give us our daily bread so that we have all we need to honour his name, all we need to play our part in the growth of his kingdom, and all we need to obey his will in our lives. This is the reason why give us today our daily bread follows 
your will be done. Like any good project manager, Jesus instructs that first we clarify the goals of the project, and then we go on to develop the skills and acquire the resources we need to achieve those goals. So we have seen that we can depend on God to provide, but now we see the purpose of his provision. This transforms our prayers. Now we know what to ask for. We are to ask that God provide all we need to work fruitfully in the kingdom for those things that will better equip us to love like Jesus and serve like family. And we've seen that God nourishes us, so we grow. Now we see that see what this growth is for, that we can serve better and enjoy him more and more. Before I quoted from Second Timothy about the purpose of Scripture, you may have noticed I left off the end of the verse. Here it is in full. All Scripture is God-breathed and, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's what spiritual nourishment and spiritual growth are for. So let's apply these principles, these priorities. Because the priorities in the first half of the Lord's Prayer transform how we live. They prompt us to use what God gives wisely. That is, to live simply and be thankful. We are to be thankful because the abundance we receive, we receive from God. We are to live simply because this abundance is to be invested in the kingdom, not merely used for our enjoyment. Our materialist consumer culture says stuff satisfies. It doesn't. Only God does. It distracts us from true abundance. So living simply and practicing thankfulness actually end up benefiting us. When we live like this, we discover the truth Paul expresses in Philippians when he says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And life in the kingdom means life in community. We ask for our bread, not my bread. We celebrate and serve together. God provides for us and nourishes us together. In fact, he uses us to provide for and nourish each other. I once asked a lecturer in church history why he was so passionate about that subject, about church history. He replied that after Jesus himself and the Bible, the church is God's greatest gift to us. And it really is. God so often answers our prayers by giving us each other. This is why missional communities are front and centre of our church. This is why we are always talking about doing life together, why we always try to do life together. And finally, the things God gives, he expects us to share. This is the essence of community. We, rece we receive abundantly when we share with others what we have. God honours those who give by enabling them to give even more. Jesus, uh, Christians should be famous for their generosity. No one can give as we can give. We know God provides for us, so we have the security to be extravagant in our generosity. Jesus promises that 
no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. This sounds like a life of sacrifice, and it is, but it's also a life of community. You see, Jesus promises that when we make sacrifices for him, he gives us many companions. Let me put this all another way. Whenever we pray, give us today our daily bread, we should always add, who do you want us to share our bread with today? So my challenge for you this week is to pray these two prayers every day. Give us today our daily bread, and who do you want us to share our bread with today? See what God does with that. And in your missional communities and DNAs this week, it would be great to unpack this idea of abundant life, to spend some time thinking about how we can practically live simply, practice thankfulness, find contentment, build and enjoy community, and grow in generosity.